So we're in the second week of Advent. We have the second blue candle that's lit next to the altar. And we stand in this kind of liminal space of waiting, preparing, anticipating. It's a time of tension. Something is ending. Something else is about to break in. Before the miracle of Christmas, of Emmanuel, of God breaking in, we wait and we prepare. We hope. Now, hope is a scary thing because it forces us outside of our comfort zone. This week I spent some time reading some of the writings of Polly Murray. Now, if you don't know her, strongly recommend her. Uh, She's a great African-American writer, lawyer, a poet, and she was also one of the first women ordained an Episcopal priest. She's really important in our history. And she speaks of hope in her astounding masterwork, the poem Dark Testament. She says, hope is a word in a tuneless ditty, a word whispered with the wind, a dream of 40 acres and a mule, a cabin of one's own and a moment to rest, a name and place for one's children, and children's children at last. Hope is a song in a weary throat. Give me a song of hope and a world where I can sing it. Give me a song of faith and a people to believe in it. Give me a song of kindliness and a country where I can live it. Give me a song of hope and love and a brown girl's heart to hear it. Now, Murray speaks from the experience of an African-American person in the Jim Crow South, where she grew up. She was arrested in 1940 for sitting in a whites-only section of a Virginia bus. She also speaks as a woman who graduated first in her law class at Howard University but was denied post-grad work at Harvard because of her gender. Yet through all this, she still speaks of hope. Give me a song of hope and love and a brown girl's heart to hear it. And when you think about it, Advent is nothing if not about hope. And this year, especially, we were reminded of the audaciousness of hope, especially during a seemingly endless pandemic, continued economic distress, and continued political turmoil. We just started year B of our lectionary calendar, and and the featured gospel during year B is the gospel of Mark. I think this is perfect, and it's much needed. New Testament writer N.T. Wright notes that the gospel of Mark speaks to Christians wherever they need encouraging in what it means to follow Jesus during difficult times. I think these count as difficult times. So the gospel of Mark reaches across the century to meet us here this morning with an urgent message of hope. And it begins, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God. I mean, wow, straight out of the gate, Mark's purpose is clear. The inbreaking of the good news, the inbreaking of the gospel of Jesus, of Israel's Messiah, of God's only Son. Now, to put it in context, Mark was writing during a tense period in Israel's history. It was a four-year war with her Roman conquerors that resulted in the temple's ultimate destruction. Now, this was an unbelievably cataclysmic event that, to Mark's Jewish listeners, may very well result in the end of the world. Yet the opening words are words of hope. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then the reading does a surprising pivot. Having just introduced Jesus Christ, it instead speaks of John the Baptizer. 
the one preparing the way. The reading is filled with Old Testament Scripture, Isaiah, which gets cited about preparing the way, make the path straight. And John appears far outside the Judean countryside and successfully preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness. He's dressed and behaves like a wild man in a style that calls back to the prophet Elijah. See, John's preparing for Jesus' ultimate baptism with the, Holy, with the fire of the Holy Spirit. I think it speaks to Jesus' essential humility that this gospel begins not centered on him, but on the one who prepares the way. We'll get to Jesus' teachings and passion in due time. But here in Advent, we hear the one preparing the way. I'm well aware that Reverend Peggy and I stand here on the shoulders of many priests who have been at St. Peter's during its nearly 140-year history. Some priests are warmly remembered, some deeply admired, some feared, others maybe a little disliked. Most of them probably forgotten, but they are here. They prepared the way. We also stand here on the shoulders of the many leaders who have started or fueled their work with the support of St. Peter's. Jason Alexander, Jenny Knight, Patricia Matthews, Sarah Milford, Brooks Cato, Jerusalem Greer, Andrew Hibble. The list is almost endless. And I'm always surprised by the mighty impact this small church has had and is having on the church and the world. And they all claim that St. Peter's helped them prepare the way. And finally, we stand here on the shoulders of the founders and members of St. Peter's, those generations of people who made and still make this place so special, this tiny beating heart at the center of Conway. Even though we're standing with you virtually today, we join with you in preparing the way for future generations attracted to this kind of crazy, radically loving place. And at this unique moment in time, in Advent 2, we dare allow ourselves to hope. But it also raises the question, who are we preparing the way for? What world are we helping birth so future generations can flourish in it? As many of you know, St. Peter's just started the Episcopal Church's sacred ground training this past Tuesday. We had a virtual meeting of 20, over 20 travelers, and we have more on the way, who joined the thousands of others across the church in the important work of understanding and addressing the uncomfortable topics of race and reconciliation in this country. Through readings, films, books, and other media, we'll explore the relatively new idea of race that only started in the 18th century, of whiteness and its impact on Asian, indigenous, and Latino, and African-American communities and people. We'll explore individual as well as community stories. Now, I realize this may sound like old news. Haven't we already covered this already? Or, or maybe here we go again. I firmly believe this is different. Sacred ground training will, I think, do more than just make us aware of race and racism, but will, it will give us the tools to equip us to be on the front lines of the Episcopal Church's important commitment to race and reconciliation. We'll be able to speak the scary language of race, to open all our eyes to the insidious ways that race, socioeconomic differences, geography, and experience divide this country. It will help us find a way through this. In other words, I believe this training will help us prepare the way.
the way for future journeyers, for future generations, to navigate the choppy waters of race and racism in this country. It won't be the answer, by no means, in the way that John the Baptizer couldn't untie the thong of Jesus' sandal. But I believe it will help prepare the way. We had a very special opening session on Tuesday night, and each participant shared why he or she felt called to be on this journey right now. And over a nearly an hour of heartfelt, intimate, and sometimes soul-bearing confessions, the men and women revealed their discomforts, their unknowing naivetes, and missed opportunities that have led them to this training. Across the board, there was an earnest desire to simply be better. In a later email that I sent this week, I, I likened the session to a Damascus Road-type experience where we were all yearning for the scales to fall from our eyes. And so the journey begins. My wish is that this is just the beginning of many other sacred ground trainings here at St. Peter's. You see, I believe that as part of our baptismal covenant, we are called to prepare the way for others, especially those not as blessed as we are. We prepare the way for others so they can fully live into flourishing lives that the gospel, that the good news of Jesus Christ, Son of God, opens for all creation. Or as Reverend Polly Murray put it, give me a song of hope and a world where I can sing it. Give me a song of faith and a people to believe in it. Give me a song of kindliness and a country where I can live it. Give me a song of hope and love and a brown girl's heart to hear it. And so this Advent, we wait, we prepare, we hope. Amen.